thinking is too small. I, I, there's this um, guy by the name of Craig Groeschel who's a, uh, a pastor of what is the world's largest church now. Um, I don't know how many campuses they have and how many states they're in, but if you hear how it started and all the beginning and the vision and all the things that God put in their heart, and then as God spoke to them, they just began to take steps of faith that were like wild and crazy that like normal people wouldn't do, but like God said, do it. So like, we're not going to question God. So their mentality, but his mentality is we're not going to insult God with small thinking. And I think sometimes we do that. We insult God with small thinking. We get this box right here and this is our ministry and this is our life and we're not going outside of this box and anything God wants to do he has to do within this box and um, today we're going to talk about destroying this box in order for God to give us the, uh, to take us where he wants to take us to do the things he wants us to do but I'm going to share a story from Craig Rochelle he started um, when they years ago they started the, I had the idea God spoke to them about starting this Bible website we now know it if you have your phone you might likely have it on there it's called Version app anybody have the Version app so Craig Rochelle decided, hey, our, our church, at this point in time, they're growing. They're, they're, they're a large church at this point in time, but it still is a very expensive thing to try to build a website that is like every, where the vision of this is that they will have the Bible accessible to a billion people. That was their vision. We want the Bible put in the hands of a billion people one way or another. So that's a lot of money technology-wise. You have to create a website that has all of this. So the website, they, they started it and they put it together and the website failed because it's a website hard to do but then they they thought about it they sat back and said well maybe that some people like maybe that wasn't the lord maybe but then other people were like no it was the lord we just got to figure it out right and that's how it works sometimes sometimes we automatically think that when something isn't easy it's not the lord right it has to be easy if god said to go do it then it's like he's just going to pave the way he's going to make it really easy it's all going to be cake right that's not the case the Lord, Lord takes us through this process, and the process is causing us to mature and grow and be stretched because God wants to stretch us. God wants to get us to a place where our faith is at a level where it's like, yeah, this seems impossible, but so what kind of mentality. So he takes us through this process. Well, Craig Rochelle decided, hey, instead of doing a website, let's create an app for phones. With an app, we could put it on phones all over the place. Smartphones were around. It's a way we could put it on phones everywhere. It's easier for a billion people to be able to see, have version, and, and as we sit here today, they haven't gotten to a billion. They're really close. Really close to over a billion phones worldwide have the version app. So they're on their way there. But imagine if they stayed within this box, because here's the thing. When he presented it to the church and to their leadership, it was nothing that was going to grow their church specifically. Because they didn't just have, like, they have, like, how many versions are in the version? I don't know. There's a lot of versions of the Bible. Um, that were translated different things. Some are literal translations, as we know, like New American Standard and things like that. But, um, but they have this uh, idea that he brought to leadership, and like this is going to cost us like a lot of money. We're going to have to put a lot of people on this. It's going to be a lot of work. It's not going to be thousands. It's probably going to be hundreds of thousands or even more. And when he brought this and approached the people with it, because the people were of like mind, like heart, and they were risk-taking people, and he said, we're not going to insult God with small thinking, that literally they were all like, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Even though it was going to cost a lot of money, it wasn't going to bring church, to, church growth, so to speak, but it was going to bring kingdom growth. And now this Bible app has not only Bible versions, like all the different versions and stuff, but this Bible app has teachings and trainings and all kinds of amazings that are accessible to people that they created. They're constantly putting new content on it. They literally have a team of people who are paid full-time just to put content on this app 
so that the church worldwide can be grown and mature and be taught and learn the Word of God. It's amazing to me, somebody that has that kind of a vision, that kind of, but it started with somebody who just like, I'm praying, spending time with the Lord, and then the Lord just speaks to my heart something, and I really know it's the Lord, so I approach people, and then the people I approach have the same faith, same heart, and they join in the mission, and then they accomplish the mission, and they will accomplish this mission probably in some time in the next year or two because of how fast it's growing and how many people are actually using the version app. He used this quote, and it's a quote I've seen on a lot of his teaching and training. It says, you cannot play it safe and please God. And that's the motto. They use this motto in every single thing. You cannot play it safe and please God. Faith is required. My belief is even clear. It is impossible to please God without faith. And faith is risk-taking at times. It's going places that you don't know where you're going. It's doing things that you don't know how it's going to work out. It's building things that you have no idea. You know, follow what I'm saying. It's like the Lord speaks to us. I don't know. I just know the Lord said to do it. And so I start doing it. And it, all I have is the next step. The Lord has the big picture, but it's faith. It's blind. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going to, God said do it, so I'm going to do it. And this ends up happening. And this is literally how they've grown their ministry. They're praying, and the Lord says, I want you to put a campus or start a... They're, they're not even anywhere near Kansas City. He's like, I want you to go to Kansas City. So logically, he goes to... This is logical, by the way, because this is what logical people do. He goes to his leadership, say, hey, we're going to start another campus, a, a new campus in Kansas City, and we're just going to go there and buy land now. Like the Lord spoke to him, said, we're going to do it. They went and they built this, bought this land, and next thing you know, they build this really awesome church in Kansas City, and now there are thousands upon thousands of people who've come to the Lord just because he's like, um, yeah, I got an idea. It's not a small idea. It's a bigger idea. But it's something I feel like the Lord's put on my heart to do. There are only two times that we see Jesus in, in, in his time here when he was ministering where he was amazed by something. I mean, he's God, so he's not really often, often going to be amazed at what we do, right? Like, it's usually the opposite. It's usually like he does something awesome, and we're like, oh, I'm amazed by what Jesus just did. But Jesus was amazed two times. Last week, I shared one of the passages in Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, when he was in his hometown, and he said this phrase is what took place. He said, and he could not do any miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and, they, and healed them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. So he was amazed at their unbelief, their lack of faith. One time Jesus was amazed. Next time, Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read all the way through, uh, 2 through 9. Now a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and save the life of the slave. When they came to Jesus, they strongly urged him, saying, He is worthy for you he is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it, and it was he who built us, built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, but already when he was not yet far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not, be, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy of you to enter under my roof. This is a guy who really recognizes who Jesus is. For that reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, with soldiers under myself. And I, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, 
he was amazed at him. And then he gave this phrase, and he turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. So both times Jesus was amazed, it had to do with faith. I'm amazed that you don't have any, and I'm, I'm amazed that you have so much. Follow me? So two times, if, if Jesus is amazed by something, we should talk about it. So we're going to talk about it today a little bit. And I'm going to share some stories, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to think about something, uh, a time when somebody was given an instruction from the Lord that was wild and crazy and that nobody, everybody would probably think you're nuts when you did it. His name's Noah. We have all know the story. But imagine this. I want you to take yourself back in time. So if you're here today and you've, you're probably like, anybody here ever watch movies about like Noah and different kind of things you ever watch them? See, so, so you could kind of get a picture of what it looks like. But take yourself back to a time when it's never rained before. Never. I mean, it's never rained at this point in time in history. And God speaks to Noah and he gives him instructions, details on, on an ark that he's supposed to build. It's a boat. But, so you, you're like, okay, God, you said to go do this. This is like, he's like probably living inside this box. But God says, I want you to build a boat. There goes that box, right? Because nobody knows what a boat is. If it's never rained before, then they never had to have a boat before. So he quits his occupation and his job. Like all the stuff he did to make money. Tells his family and kids, you got to help me. You're all going to come and quit your jobs too. We're all going to build this boat together. Like imagine that conversation. We're going to build a boat together, huh? <laughs> What's a boat? <laughs> So he starts building the ark, and he's working on this ark by faith because the Lord told him to do it. The Lord spoke to his heart and said, I know this is big. I know this doesn't make sense. It's not logical, but I gave you the instruction. And along the way, people came along, probably mocking him because the Bible says they mocked him, right? They're mocking him, making fun of him. What are you doing? Why are you? And, and like, it's, I'm building a boat. What's the boat? Well, it floats on water when, when the floods come. What's a flood? What's rain? You had to answer all these questions because nobody knew what any of these things were. So imagine being asked by God to do something so big, so crazy, so wild that makes no sense to anybody where you're going to be mocked, you're going to be made fun of, you're going to be ridiculed over and over and over again, and it makes no sense to nobody until it rains. So for all this time, and it took him a long time to build this ark. He was doing this for a long period of time, dealing with all the mockers, doing all of these things, and it made no sense. There are times in our lives where God speaks to you something that is a dream, that is a vision, that is something God's put in your heart for ministry. By the way, I'm going to tell you some things. Um, like for me, over the last year, this has been a really, I'm going to be honest, a very tough year for a lot of reasons. From October through about March, it was absolutely miserable. And I won't get into all the reasons why, but there were a lot of reasons why. And during that time period, I'm sitting there and I'm wondering, where are you in this, Lord? Are you put these dreams and these hearts in me, visions in my heart and these things, that I, but I feel like there's nothing going to ever happen. There's no point of what I'm doing. You ever been there before? You're lying if you say you haven't. We all get to this point where it's a really rough time that we're going through and the enemy is trying to steal your joy and your peace. But most importantly, he's trying to steal the dream. He's trying to steal the thing that God's purposed in your heart to do. Because if he steals that, you don't do what he's called you to do, and therefore you can't influence and impact the lives of people who he's called you to impact and influence. So there's times where you're going through these things, 
what he doesn't always take into account because he's foolish is that during those times when God is sifting you and moving you and molding you and you're in the fire and he's like, bing, like, you don't understand what I'm talking about. We've been there. And he's be preparing you. It's almost like he's sharpening you. We talked about this earlier. He's sharpening you for what's coming. So when you're in the middle of going through all of these things and you have no idea how you're going to do it or how you're going to work it out, all of a sudden you get to the other side of it and God gives you more. Like, I'm going to use what you just went through to actually build on the dream and the vision that I've given you. So what the Satan actually did is he's given you more tools without even realizing it. More dreams that are building on top of those. Because sometimes we get this idea that God gives to us and we think it's going to happen tomorrow. But it doesn't happen tomorrow. It happens like in 10 years or 15 years. And in the time between, there's all this process of molding and, and being taught and being, uh, being built up and being sometimes discouraged and then encouraged. And some, you understand what I'm talking about? It's a process that God takes us through. And all these things are happening. And there's a season where at first it's like, yes, this is a great dream. And then there's a season where it's like, I really hate the fact that I ever had this dream or vision. Because now I don't see any way possible it's ever going to happen. And I was so hopeful and so excited that it's like, but you're in the season. I imagine when Noah first got the word from the Lord and God explained to him what a boat was. I imagine at first, okay, I'm going to do this for the Lord. It's going to be exciting. And then once people started making fun of him and things started happening and he started losing a lot of things, people. I imagine at that point he's like, this is a really awful season of my life. So he builds this ark, he's mocked. And there's a season where everything's terrible and everything's awful and everything's hard. And then there's the season where the rain comes. Because at that point in time, every single person who now mocked him now suddenly understands what a boat is. And it's too late. It's important that when the Lord speaks to us, gives us dreams, gives us visions, and we're obedient to him, that we follow him, that we do the things that he's asked us to do in spite of what we're dealing with in spite of the difficulties that we keep going. I've heard this prayer a lot. There's a book that came out. You guys probably heard of it. It's called The Prayer of Jabez, right? It's popular. People pray this. How many times I've heard people praying, Lord, enlarge my territory. It's a top popular prayer. In, in, in 1 Chronicles 4.10, he says, Now Jabez called on God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would greatly bless me and extend my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you will keep me from harm so that, it would be, so that it would not hurt me. And God brought about what he requested. So God was honoring his prayer. But what we don't understand is sometimes that when we begin to pray for, I want you to enlarge my territory, churches will pray that. Enlarge our territory. Help us be more impactful. Help us be more fruitful. Here's the problem with praying something like that, is that we pray that prayer, but then when God brings something outside of the box, an idea or something we're supposed to do, we question it. We battle it, and then we don't do it because we put the box right. We wanna, we're going to stay right in here, and we don't allow God to bend us beyond that because in order for God to give you more, he has to help you to think more. Right? He has to help us to begin to imagine more. The heart has to receive it. The mind has to believe it, and we have to then begin to be operating in faith towards it in order for it to happen. I believe God wants to enlarge the territory of the church. God wants the church to be impactful and fruitful and ministering to the community and doing all those kinds of things. But we have to hear from the Lord. And then when he speaks, we have to move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit, even though at times it's going to be hard. 
and difficult. In the new year, I'm going to start a, a new series, and I'm not going to get into that today, but I, think, I feel like the Lord is setting this all up because I didn't plan on each message. Like I, I just like I told you before, I pray and I wait on the Lord, and He gives me a word. Today, He gave me this word. There was this hockey team. You're going to appreciate this, Tony. <laughs> you're, you're one of those people that probably watch Hockey Night in Canada. Yes. There was this hockey team in the 90s, early 2000s. We, we know them as the Detroit Red Wings. And they had this group on their team. We called them the Russian Five. Now, I'm saying this on purpose because as I get into a few stories, I'm going to read a couple passages, but then I'm going to share a few stories. That are, they're stories of faith. People who have done things, said things, responded to the Lord, and seen crazy wild things take place as a result of it. Just being obedient to the Lord. But as we try to respond to what the Lord has for us, and I, I, I promise you, I'm not just saying this to say this, I really sincerely believe that the Lord is going to ask us to do some pretty wild things coming up in the near future as a church. And I told you before, I don't know what it is, so I'm going to give you some prayer initiatives today. Because we need the Lord to help us to imagine more. We have to prepare our hearts and our minds in order to receive what God has so that we don't just keep looking, okay, it's in this. If he just speaks to us and we're inside this box, we're kind of in trouble because now I start becoming a goalie. What does a goalie do? He stops goals from happening. I've, in 20-some-odd years of ministry, experienced quite a bit of goalies in ministry. Everything is an opposition. Great vision, well, what about this? What about that? And it's good to have some accountability, but it's not good to stop every goal. What I loved about the Russian five. They were an unusual group of people. When they were on the ice, it's almost like the goalie was able to just sit there and drink a cup of coffee. I mean, I'm, I'm being honest with you. You can sit on the other side, their goalie just did nothing. They literally were so gifted, so talented, so intelligent. They had speed, they had power. I mean, you had guys like Sergei Fedorov, one of the fastest guys probably at that time ever in hockey. You had guys like Larianov, they called him the professor because his stick handling and his shiftiness was unparalleled. He was like, we, later on we had Davo, uh, Pavel Dasuk, who was pretty amazing too. But you had, then you had guys like Kozlov, who was just a really good sh shooter, but also very gifted in his skating, also very gifted in handling his Every single one of them, no matter what their gift, they can handle a stick like nobody's, a puck like nobody's business. So when they were on the ice, they didn't, they were basically on offense all the time because they could take the puck from anybody at any moment. They're always on offense, and so it seemed like that, that every time they were on the ice, that the goalie got a lot of breaks and a lot of rest. But it's, imagine if that team's goalie decided to get in the net where they were trying to score and started to block the things that they were trying to accomplish, the goals. This is why it's important. Us, the same heart. We talked about last series, less, same heart, same mindset, same direction, doing the same things, following the Lord. Let's hear from the Lord, and then he speaks, let's move. Let's act. It's important that we do that. Hebrews chapter 1, 11 Verse 1, for those who don't know what faith is, I just felt like I'm going I'm to share this. Now, faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. Nor, not, not, so but in other words, it's basically that I'm certain. Even though there's things that I hope for, I know the Lord spoke this. I know the Lord's done a work in my life. I'm certain of who he is. I'm certain of the things he's done, even though I can't see him. I'm certain of them. But this is what the next verse says. For by it, the people of old gained approval. 
So in other words, by faith, we gain approval with the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to believe God. So when God speaks to us, we have to learn to respond, even if it's not in our box. Hebrews 11, verse 8, a little bit farther down, because I'm going to go into Abraham just for a minute, because I'm going to remind you, I preached on this a while back. I don't know if it was a year, year and a half. It all melts together after a while. Like somebody came to me and asked me, can you tell me when you preached this message? <laughs> well, let me tell you, I have no idea. I have no idea when I preached that message. If you just go back and listen to them all, you'll find it. <laughs> that was the only answer I could give them, but like they all melt together, so I don't know when I preach this, but I'm going to talk about just for a minute. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by, by going out to, place, to a place which he, was, which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he left, this is my favorite part, not knowing where he was going. See, that's faith. I don't have to have all the answers. All the I's don't have to be dotted. All the T's don't have to be crossed. The Lord said, this is what I want you to do. So I'm, I'm called by God to be like Abraham and just take the step. And then just take the step. But it's not, it doesn't fit. Here's the box, and this is how you destroy it. But this is what we've always done. This is how we've always done it. It's gone, right? It's gone. But that's too big, it's too expensive, it's too hard. It's going to be a lot of work if we do that. That's, I picked the wrong boxes. (laughs) The idea is simple that we have these boxes that we say all these excuses of why we shouldn't do it, why we can't do it, it's too hard, it's too expensive, it's too crazy, it's too wild. How are we supposed to accomplish that? You can't accomplish that. That's why it's faith. In order for us to accomplish the thing God wants us to accomplish, we have to stop thinking inside the box. And we don't need to stop thinking inside the box, we just need to get rid of the box completely and be open to whatever the Lord wants to do, not stopping or hindering the work of the Lord, because I'm sorry to tell you, I have seen it happen thousands of times. I have a friend who's a pastor. I've been a pastor for a very long time. He had clear vision from the Lord, and when I sat down and talked to him about the vision he had for the Lord, I'm like, I want to be a part. You know him, but I'm not going to say his name in case he watches this, or somebody at his church watches this, because I know them all. But he had this vision and dream in the middle middle of the inner city of all these things he wanted to do and accomplish. And this ministry did awesome things. Like they feed like 1,500 families a week. They do amazing ministry. But constantly, goalies, goalies, goalies. And now he's so close to retirement and hasn't been able to accomplish anything that he wanted to accomplish. Until... God removed a couple goalies, added a couple Russian five. They merged with another church who has similar vision, similar heart. And next thing you know, they're starting to begin to do some of the things that they had a heart to do. He's going to end up retiring knowing that the dream that God put in his heart is going to come to pass. Sometimes God will have to remove a goalie. You ever watch a hockey game where they're getting beat like eight to nothing and they remove the goalie? My favorite hockey game I've ever watched in my entire life was not the fight with, Col- with Colorado. That was a great game. But it was a game where we beat them so bad where Patrick Wall had to be removed. That was amazing. <laughs> Everybody's like, I don't know what you're talking about. The ones who are younger are like, who's Patrick Wall? What's hockey? <laughs> no, who are the Red Wings? <laughs> They've been bad for a while, so nobody knows who they are anymore. But you, that's, you understand what I'm saying? Like, 
like when God began to change and shift because God had a plan. It was not, it was not Pastor, what am I, I got to give him a name. Pastor Joe. It wasn't his vision or dream. He just received it from the Lord and shared it. And goalies were like, no, too expensive, too hard, too difficult, too crazy. There's no way that's God. God's not logical. I mean, I almost believe every single time God speaks to me about something, it is the things that makes the least amount of sense that I know is him. And, and, and my experience has been when I've gone in those directions, it's always worked. Because God's not like us in that way. He doesn't have little thinking. We can't insult God with our small thinking. Our prayer has to be, write this down, this is your prayer right now as we begin to pray for the church and for what God's going to be doing in the near future. I want you to pray this, Lord, help me to imagine more. For my life, myself, personally, my family, but also for this church. Help me to imagine more. Help me eradicate small thinking so that I can live by faith and not by sight. I mean, that's what the Bible says, right? Live by faith and not by sight. I know it's wild because we want to touch, feel, and be able to see all the things and know what, I want to know all the details. You know, the word wisdom is a really good word in Scripture. Here's this thing, don't, don't take this the wrong way. It's a very good word in Scripture. The Bible says that we should pray for wisdom. But I've used that word thrown around a lot in order to block God's work. I'm going to share a story with you before I do, I'm going to read this passage as a reminder, because I read this for This is just a reminder. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. At this point in time, Abraham, this is, this is well before Abraham walked into the land. He, remember, I just read a minute ago, he's going to the place where he doesn't know where he's going, but he's going into the land that was his. This is well before that. This is, this is when he received a dream from the Lord. He's inside this tent, a lot like this box. This box is a tent. And in this tent, he's discouraged not very hopeful about what's coming or what God can do. And the Bible literally says that God took him outside, tent. So when he took him outside and said, now look towards the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall, be, so shall your descendants be. So sometimes God has to take us out of the tent or out of the box. Because if you're inside there, you can't see what's outside of it, right? But God's vast. He's bigger than what's inside your box. He took Abraham outside the box and said, look at all of this. Now watch, your descendants, that'll be the number as much as you can count, if you can even count them, because they're so vast. I really believe the Lord is going to speak to us this morning about saying this, is that for your life, for your vision, for your ministry, for the church, I want you to begin to step outside of the box and look and dream, thinking bigger, Right? Not being afraid of the steps that are in front of you. But the world hates the church now. The world hated the church forever. <laughs> I mean, it's to be real, right? When Jesus is here, they'll hate you because they hated me first. So that's not like a comment. That's a promise. And it didn't stop him, and it didn't stop the disciples, and it didn't stop the church, early church. It didn't stop, right? We have to keep moving, and we have to step outside of our normal box and our normal way of seeing things in order to do extraordinary things. We're not called to ordinary, by the way. Church is never meant to be an ordinary organization. We are extraordinary. We are a supernatural body here, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
able to, able to do exploits according to Scripture, right? There's nothing we cannot do when we walk together in unity, filled with the Holy Spirit and with faith. So there's this pastor, another story I'm going to share, 2015. By the way, he never goes to school, school to be a pastor. He never does any of this. He's actually doing um, like business work, but he never even had an education. His parents move to become a part of this church plant. And so he kind of grew up in that church plant. And he's 26 years old, never considered ministry, never did anything. And then all of a sudden, the pastor of the church who started the church, who's now ready to, to not leave and not be, it's kind of like with, with you and me. So this pastor, there's a, literally a service where he's pastor, passing the baton. You can see the baton being passed in the hand where this young man who was 26 years old who never went to school to be a pastor, never had experience, never did anything that had to do with ministry. He just served the Lord. And they gave him this baton and said, you're going to be the pastor of this church. So he takes the baton and becomes the pastor of the church. And he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I can tell you when you're young in ministry and you just begin to go and serve the Lord, you really don't have any idea what you're doing. You're like, you come in, I remember the first time ever going into the office as a pastor, and I sat down, and I'm like, now what? <laughs> like, what, what do I do? Like, you know, I went to school, like I, taught, I went to training and stuff like that, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. It's just a different world. But that was his mindset. The Lord said, I just want you every day to spend this amount of time minimum praying, and I'll tell you what to do next. And so he began to pray, and this church is a church of about 300 people. And so he's praying, and he's praying, and he's praying, and, and their church is starting to grow a little bit. This man who has no experience, no training, nothing like that, it's, it's the church is growing. Isn't that amazing how that works? God uses the unlikely. I mean, even the disciples, of the Pharisees, like, I could tell they're not educated, right? So they were just the unusual people that God uses. And so we have this church, this pastor who starts praying, and then finally one day he's in prayer, and the Lord begins to give him clear vision. And these are the things he, what he did is he had a specific building. The Lord says, this is your future home of the church. I want you to hear this. It's a church of 300 people, and the place he was talking about was an arena. was not a regular church, and it was an arena that was occupied where events were happening and all this kind of stuff. So he's like, he printed out a picture of it and then began to write down on this picture all of the things that God's put on his heart for the church. We're going to be a multiplying church. We're going to be multi-generational, multi-ethnic. We're going to be, have multi-campuses. We're going to, businesses are going to start, we're going to train people and we're going to start businesses. We're going to help people to do all, and he starts sharing all these different things we're going to do as a church. And he had it on paper and he had it in his pocket and he took it to his wife and he showed her. And of course his wife, you know, like sometimes the one you're married to is a goalie. Ask my wife, I'm always a goalie. She's like, what if I decorate this? No. <laughs> and then she does it and looks great. But she wasn't. She's like, she just said, okay. Like, that's kind of response. Like, in her mind, probably thinking, you're nuts. Like, there's no way in the world this is going to happen. You're crazy. You're going to get in an arena. We have 300 people in our church. 350 or 400 at this point in time. So then he does something, and he goes to the guy who is the former pastor who's still in their church. And he says, this shows it to him, this is what my heart is. This was, to me, one of the coolest parts of the entire story. The former pastor looks at the paper and is, looks up at him, and this is the true response. He said, let's go check it out. So they literally went to the arena, got into the arena, and he took a picture of the young 26-year-old pastor with the backdrop of the, the giant, huge arena foyer, right? And, and he began to believe with him for that. Then they came to leadership. Some of the leadership said, hey, this is, 
So, so they knew they were get already growing out of the building they were in, so they started already starting to look at a new building, right? So they're, 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 this is a process we have to do, but now his heart's set. This is what the Lord said, nothing else will work. That was really the mindset. The Lord said, this arena, we're not even going to entertain another building. So they get this realtor they start talking to, and this realtor is a non-believer, by the way, and he's like, I'll, I'll help you find a building, and he, and he literally looks at the realtor and says, unless it's this building, I don't want to have a conversation. So the realtor, like, surprised, says to them, okay, I will call that place once a week. And if they ever decide to sell, we'll talk. Little did they know that the building was already in the process of being purchased. That arena was going to be purchased by this organization. They'd buy up these giant places, and they turn them into, like, indoor, like, amusement family places. And they had done them all over the country. So they've never had it. There's a constant part of their business plan. So they're... they're in this arena, they're, they're in this for the arena, this is what they want, and now they're finding out this, it's going to be sold already. Somebody else is going to buy it. But then the realtor calls him and says their financing fell through. Now this happened over several years. So over several years, they're able to save some money to prepare for whatever God has for them. So he says, it fell through, do you want it? So he had enough money for earnest money. What was his response? Because he didn't have all the other money. He had some money, but that was it. Their church at this point had hit about 1,000 people. They're growing. Over the three years, they're growing. So he's like, yes, we'll take it. And he gives the earnest money. It was faith, right? God spoke to him already, said, this is what you're supposed to do. He knew without a shadow of a doubt. The former pastor who was with him said, I'm going to be your Sergei Fedorov. And then somebody else came along and said, I'm going to be your Slava Kozlov. Right? The Russian five starts getting put in place. We're all going to do this together, and we're going to be on the offense and never on defense. Right? That's the kind of the mindset that they had. So then that organization, this is where it gets wild. That organization calls them, because five days later, their financing got fixed. They figured everything out, and then they were really upset when they find out somebody else is buying it. So they came to them and said, Can you, will you, are you willing to back out of that building? We'll give you a million dollars just to back out. Now, how many of us in spite of everything I just now said, would say, yes, a million dollars. Just to back out, we get a million bucks? He's like, nope. This is what God wanted for us. This is our building. I'll give you a million dollars and five years free rent in the arena. Nope. How about two million dollars? This is literally how the conversation went. They kept offering more because they really had plans for this place. And in the time where I'm hearing this testimony, at the end of this message that he's sharing, he pulls out the keys. I've seen the congregation erupt. It was an explosion because everybody knew. He heard from the Lord a crazy thought. Everybody who was with him said, let's go together. And they moved in unison saying, God, we will do whatever it is you want us to do. We'll go wherever you want us to go. I have no idea how to work out. I only have earnest money. The realtor, when they purchased it, a realtor who was not a believer, over a period of several years of working with him, said to him, straightforward, he said, you've changed my life. This realtor gives his life to Jesus. He sees the faith and he sees all this stuff happen. It's wild. I'm going to give the first $20,000 towards. So he writes a check for $20,000 to fund their building, and they end up now having a debt-free arena that is doing crazy amount of ministry and serving, and amazing things have happened, and now they are multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-campus church that is doing amazing things. 
And we sometimes look at, oh, you're multi-campus. You're one of those. God orchestrated. God gave the vision. God gave the dream, and they obeyed and listened to the Lord. It was the hand of the Lord that moved. There's no other explanation based on not just his testimony, but testimony of others who were involved, who were shared. We were there. We saw the entire process. I saw the paper that was written. Yet God, no goalies. To me, that was the significant thing. No goalies. Russian five, working together. We all have to decide this is a problem. It has to start looking like the other one. Ripped up, blown up. Believe God for the impossible. There was a man in the scripture, I'm going to end with this, who was blind from birth. To put this in perspective, imagine somebody who's never seen anything ever in their entire life being able to imagine anything because they haven't seen anything ever. But he's sitting there, low life, can't work a job, can't do anything, just begs for alms. But he imagined more. Blind's never seen anything before. Jesus, he's heard about him. Jesus is showing up. What does he do? do? He responds by faith. And Jesus heals him. And now he can see. You understand how that works? There's faith involved. I've never seen before. But Jesus. Right? But Jesus. That's really the answer to all of this, is but Jesus. It's too hard, but Jesus. It's too difficult, but Jesus. It's too insane, but Jesus. Is there anything our God can't do? The answer to that question is very simple. It's not complicated. There is absolutely nothing he cannot do. However, if we get in the way, he will not do it. That's a hard, hard way of thinking, right? Think about that for a minute. If I just get in the way, he won't, because the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to force. This is my plan. This is my purpose. Surrender your life. Surrender your will. Surrender your ideas. Surrender your thoughts. Surrender how you think things should be done. Surrender them, all of them. This has been like my whole life, I feel like. Like, Lord, I'm constantly surrendering things. It's fun. <laughs> Lies. Not always fun. But so many times the Lord says, lay this down. You had this thought, but how about, how about do this instead? And then you're obedient to the Lord and you see it happen time after time after time. He's faithful, he's good, and nothing is impossible for him. God wants to do amazing things in your life. He has purpose that he wants to place inside of you. Some of you have already had purpose placed inside of you, and you've gotten to the point where you kind of despise that purpose, like I mentioned earlier. I believe the Lord wants to restore that purpose inside of you. But it's going to take me surrendering a little bit and saying, Lord, okay, I understand that I got in the way. Because usually that's what happens, is that God's molding, preparing, teaching us, sharpening us. But somewhere along the way, my thoughts processes and the way that I think and the way I handle tough circumstances and situations and the way I deal with everything has caused me to get in the way. And then I just sit inside this comfortable box because it's safe. God's amazing, but he won't move in the safe place. I have to come out of that safe place and say, God, wherever 
you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to say, here am I. And I promise you this, the things that God wants to do with the net, it's going to require a lot of this, destroying of boxes, individually, personally, but also corporately. Destroy the box. Let's not insult God with small thinking. But instead, let's believe and trust in the most wildest dreams that he speaks to us. I want you to, we, I, there's something that God put in my heart I haven't even shared with the elders, but I'm going to share it with you. I was going to share some of the things that God put in my heart I'm going to share later, but tidbit. You mean you should buy a couple houses and you should house people aging out of the foster care system, creating a structure for them where they can be trained on life skills, job skills. You could, uh, you could give them a family. You mean something crazy like that? Yes, crazy like that. Is there anything our God can't do? And he said, take care of what? Widows and orphans. I don't know what that looks like or when it looks like. I just know we have to blow the box up and start hearing from the Lord because the Lord is going to ask the church to do crazy things that they've never done before. Matter of fact, in America especially, the Lord is going to start asking us to do things that we've relied on the government to do. And by the way, the government does not do a great job of it. Right? Because it was never theirs to do to begin with. It was the church's responsibility. We just didn't pick up the mantle. It's easier. You do it. <laughs> it's hard. It's difficult. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes people who have skill sets to be able to handle certain, you know, it takes a lot. It takes money. It takes all of those kind of things. So it's easier. You do it. God will speak to us today and say, listen, it's time for you to take that box. You're going to go home and physically take a box. <laughs> and you're going to start thinking about all the things that you know have caused you to have small thinking. You're going to rip that box apart. I think sometimes just doing something like this is physical, I know. Makes no sense. It's weird. So you're going to go home and you're going to start doing this and somebody who doesn't know what you're, didn't hear the sermon, they're like, you're a wacko. That's okay. Then I want you to do this. This is, I said to pray for God to expand or help you to imagine more. I want you to begin to take a piece of paper and I want you to write down things that God has spoken into your life. Dreams or passions or things that have faded over time because of whatever reason. And I want you to begin to rekindle that flame. Begin to pray over those things. Lord, you put this on my heart a long time ago. It hasn't happened yet. I'm, I'm sorry that I decided that it must not have been your will because it was not happening. Help me to come into alignment with you so that your purpose can be fulfilled in me. That's what happens. We throw it out like it's just too hard or it didn't happen. It must not be God. That's not true. Not true. God still wants to do what he promised he was going to do in and through you. I just have to decide that I'm going to pick it back up. So we'll go home and rip up a box and then get a piece of paper out and pick it back up. I believe the result of this, if we listen to the Lord, God is going to rebirth some ministries within this church body. He's going to do some really cool things through the people here as we surrender to the Lord and we don't quit. Amen? Amen. You can come on up. I'm going to close in prayer. I made a mess up here. 
I'll clean it up, Dennis. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> we leave messes. Sometimes we forget that Dennis cleans here, and he does a great job. And uh, we do stuff, and we still I leave a mess sometimes. Sorry. <laughs> Lord, right now, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. I thank you right now, Lord, that um, you, you are a God of more. You are a God of bigger. We sometimes have very small thinking. I'm very guilty of this, and I'm sorry. I repent even now, Lord, for the fact that sometimes I just can't think the way that you think. That sometimes I get caught up in my own little life and the things that are happening and the circumstances, and I let them suffocate me. I begin to let the enemy come in and take the seed of what you've put in my heart. I let him begin to take not only the joy and the peace, but I let him come in and start picking away at the dreams and the purposes that you put in my life. Lord, I'm praying right now for myself and for all of us in this room, Lord, that you would restore the dreams and the purposes that you've put in our hearts. Praying that you would do amazing things in us as a church. Lord, we need you, especially in this hour, but the church of the world, more than anything else, Lord, this is my heart, I believe this is true, the world needs a church that is filled with faith. The world needs a church that operates boldly. The world needs a church that is not afraid to step out and do things that are difficult and hard in order to reach the lost. And so I pray that you'd help us to do that, Lord, whatever it takes to build your kingdom, whatever it takes to bring you glory and honor, Lord. We pray today in Jesus' name you'd help us to do it. Start with me, Lord, today. Help me today. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, help me to imagine more. Help me to think bigger, not smaller. I will not insult you with small thinking anymore, Lord Jesus. I pray right now, Lord, that you would help me to see through your eyes, Lord. That as you speak to our hearts, that we would receive it. And if it's crazy, so what? If it's hard, so what? As long as you receive the honor and glory, and as long as lives are changed, it's worth it, Lord. Help us to surrender to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.